This is your host Rishikesh and welcome to the Makers podcast by Remote Tools. Each episode we chat with entrepreneurs and indie makers who are building products for the remote working community. This podcast is powered by Flexible, a network of top freelance developers and designers. Today we have with us Aiden Mirzai of Fellow. Aiden has been an entrepreneur since a very young age. He left a stable job after college and dedicated himself to building a product and growing a company. In August 2014 that company Fluid Wear was acquired by SurveyMonkey. He's currently building Fellow app, a product that helps managers to have effective meetings, exchange feedback and track goals. Hey Aiden, thanks for taking out time and welcome to the show. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. Same here and so I always wonder like you've successfully built and sold a business 8 plus years in the making and running, worked for quite long. So is there still a hustle involved like when you start building something new like Fellow or is it a little easier? <laughs> Great question. Um, no, I, I think I think hustle is so important. Uh, it is uh, it, it's got to be part of your DNA to do the entrepreneurship thing. It never goes away. Things do get in some ways things get easier uh, and in some ways things don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way that it gets easier is obviously now you you know a lot more. You have a larger network. Right. Uh, you basically. Uh, you know, have a lot of credibility. So, so th- those things definitely make things easier. Uh, but in a lot of ways, like starting starting a company is is never easy. Uh, and it depends on like what you're trying to do. I think like what also happens the second time around when you're building a business is okay. you're a lot more ambitious. You're not trying to do small things. You're trying to do bigger things. And so, you know, obviously you set the bar higher for yourself. So, so in some ways, yeah, things do, do also uh, remain challenging. Absolutely. And that's a great point. Um, so like, uh, wh- why don't you explain to us what exactly fellow is? Yeah. So fellow is uh, that uh, good question. So, so fellow mm-hmm. is basically a tool that we've built for managers and their teams. And so the idea behind Fellow is to really give you this lightweight tool that helps managers and their teams do all the things that they typically do. Right. You know, things like having one-on-one meetings, uh, running their staff meetings or brainstorming meetings or all hands or, uh, di- you know, all the different sort of interactions that managers and their teams have with each other centered around meetings. Mm-hmm. All of those things can happen within Fellow. Wonderful. And uh, so what was the motivation behind, uh, you know, starting something like fellow, like, did you see a problem around managers not being trained or like, what, what was it that was going on in your mind? Yeah, so I mean, the story of fellow actually goes back to uh, when we when we started our last company. So, you know, the last company was obviously this bootstrap company. Um, we started it in 2008. Mm-hmm. The world was falling apart. There was no money out there. And so we basically decided to bootstrap it. Right. And so we created this, uh, we created this company. Um, and, uh, you know, as we started to grow, one of the things that we would do is in order to learn about a particular area, we would use software. So for example, if you're, uh, you know nothing about sales, but you start using Salesforce, you'll learn some things about sales. And if you uh, don't know anything about marketing and you use a Marketo, you'll learn some things about marketing. And so when we started to hire people, uh, you know, back in 2008, you know, first we became managers and maybe that wasn't a crazy big deal. But then, you know, we started hire more people and we became managers of managers. And, you know, then we started to wonder, like, 
you know, are we, you know, first of all, are we doing this correctly? And second of all, now we have people reporting to us mm -hmm. and are they doing it correctly? And so we really didn't know. And, you know, we started to look for it. We thought, hey, like in the same way that when you become an account executive, you start to use um, Salesforce. Uh, when you become a manager, like where is that equivalent tool? What do managers use with their teams? And, you know, there, there wasn't anything that kind of fit that void. Uh, and, you know, we decided that, you know, maybe may, maybe we should just go out and build it. And, and so basically that's where the idea for Fellow came about. We really wanted to build it as this manager's co-pilot mm -hmm. um, to take all those concepts that managers do with their teams and just build it into this lightweight interface that's tightly coupled, works really well together. Uh, and it kind of feels like Slack or Asana or Trello, all mm -hmm. these sort of modern age tools that are lightweight, simple, straight to the point. Uh, but really surrounded or, you know, basically focused on the manager and their team. Um, and, you know, there's more stuff in it. You know, Fellow also helps you give feedback to your team and set priorities and, and a lot of things. So all the things that you would imagine a manager should do, we just make those things frictionless so that everybody does it and everybody can do it all the time. Super. And I absolutely love the tagline. It's a manager's co-pilot, right? So wonderful point there. And so you started uh, as an entrepreneur at a very early age, right? What what were the beginnings, and how did you sh how did it shape your outlook? Yeah, so I think you know part of it was uh, I mean it go yeah it goes pretty pretty far back. Mm -hmm. I, I think you know part of it was um, you know my brother and I. So we've been working together for such a long time. I think I was maybe you know twelve or thirteen, and he was nine, and. Um, you know, in the beginning, nobody would, would hire us to give us a job. So we were, you, you know, we, 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 in order to basically make extra income on the side, uh, I think, you know, when we first started out, we started doing things like we started shoveling snow, <laughs> uh, for those, for those who know what snow is okay. in, uh, warmer climates, but basically, you know, we started do, doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like, you know, as summers came by and, you know, we were off from school, the, you know, the internet was just kicking off and people were starting to build websites. And so we thought, like, what if we just started building websites for people? Um, and I remember my first experience, you know, like late 90s, uh, going into Yahoo chat rooms. Uh, this was a thing, these public chat rooms that used to exist. And, you know, this 13 year old kid going in and um, and messaging everybody and saying, hey, like, does anybody here want a website built? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we uh, we kept doing that day in, day out. And then one day, like, someone actually responded and they said, sure, uh, I would love uh, a website built. Can I call you? Um, and we're like, okay, here's our phone number. And then my brother and I started to panic because we were like, holy moly, this person is going to call us. And um, and they're going to find out that we're, we're these little kids. Right. Um, and so anyway, we, I kind of tried to make my voice thicker. I think I put a cloth <laughs> over the phone and pretended to be this adult. Yeah. And, right. and I said, yeah, I'm, you know, this college student and like, we're doing this for fun on the side. Um, and really that's, that's when it all began. So we started mm. to build websites. Uh, and then, you know, we started to get into hosting those websites because we realized like, oh, we build a website and it's done and then like there's no more income. But if we host those things, uh, that's a lot better. Um, and then that was interesting because, you know, we would host these websites and of course we would just do it on our home computer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you know, my, my mom would come in and like she didn't know like what we were doing. So 
she had this habit of like whenever she was done using the computer and checking her email or something, she would just turn off the computer. And we were like, no, it has to be on all the time. Don't do that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's when this stuff started. You know, that's kind of when the bug hit us. Mm. And you know, we started doing all sorts of things. We started doing day trading on the stock market and, wow. and we kind of like watched all of these like entrepreneurs like in the late 90s build these companies and take them public and, and we just became obsessed with like technology with businesses with producing value for others and like doing it over the internet it just became such a passion that that we couldn't get away from it amazing and even fluidware itself has a very interesting founding story right so could you you know sort of uh, tell us a little about how did it all began with fluidware and uh, in fact you also pivoted quite a bit to reach, uh, you know, the final offering with Fluidware as well. Yeah. So I think, you know, Fluidware, yeah, was, it was a story of pivot, a lot of pivots. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, where did it all start? I, I probably, um, yeah, to, to kind of let, let, let's see how I can sort of like say all of this in a very short amount of time. Sure. Yeah, so basically, um, you know, I was, you know, my first job out of school was I was an engineer at Nortel, uh -huh. uh, which was a telecom company, uh, which, you know, was one, it was basically, I, I think, Canada's largest company. I mean, it was worldwide known for, uh, in the telecom space, uh, you know, worth a huge market cap. And, uh, I was working there and on a nights and weekends basis, my brother and I started this company that was basically in the, uh, was basically kind of like a, a, a phone business, almost, almost like a long distance phone business that didn't really go anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. but, but the way that it, it kind of started was we tried to raise money for this business and um, everybody in our local city said that there's no way that anyone's going to give like a 21 year old, uh, you know, capital here. Uh, you know, it was like 2006. So it was a long time ago. Today. We weren't in Silicon Valley or anything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so basically we had this idea that, Hey, you know, maybe what we should do is, um, we should try to raise money from the folks in Silicon Valley. And, and of course we didn't know anybody there and we were like these young kids my brother and my uh, my other co-founder were in school i was working at nortel so we had this idea that like we would just video ourselves um and we'd put our pitch on youtube and then we'd email every venture capitalist that we could we could find and like that may seem like a super commonplace thing to do today but at the time literally everybody that we emailed uh responded um, and it was not because they liked the idea of what we were doing. It was like, holy cow, like these guys are like putting their video pitch on YouTube. That's so clever and unique and nobody's ever done that. Um, so yeah, we started doing that and then the internet started to write about it. Um, and you know, it was all over the place. It was kind of a big deal for whatever reason. It makes no sense today, but um, everybody started criticizing this thing. And so they started criticizing it and we were kind of like, you know, very worried. Um, I was like uh, working at Nortel still, and I thought, oh my God, someone's gonna, you know, find out about this, and, and I'm gonna get fired. So we took off this video, and like that made it even worse because then everybody was like, what happened? Where's the video? Uh, and it was it was all over the map. 
Um, so yeah, that was kind of like the beginning. And then, you know, my, my co-founders and I kind of looked at this whole episode and we said, whoa, this is really interesting. Like, it looks like people really like to criticize. Um, what if we just turned criticism into like this business? And, uh, so that was kind of like the first version. So it was, we, we created this like social network where you could post things and others could kind of critique it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that one we called chide it, right? It turned out actually that that was a horrible, horrible, really bad idea. Um, so we did basically, uh, you know, basically stop doing that. And we said, well, criticism is a bad word and it's a bad idea. But, you know, what about the word feedback? Is that any better? Uh, so we, we decided to kind of like shift to feedback and like one thing led to another and feedback turned into surveys and then that became an online survey company. And, and that's basically how we got into fluid surveys, which was, um, you know, the first product, right. uh, fluidware. And what, what year was this? It's the story like, of many, many pivots and I'm like shortening it. There's probably a couple of more pivots in there too. Okay. But, but what year was this? Like when was the idea for fluid surveys or when did fluid surveys itself come into being? Yeah, I think we may have started, I think the company was probably incorporated, it was incorporated February 2018, yeah, sorry, 2008. Um, and, and, and probably like when we really like launched fluid surveys was, we probably had a really, really crappy version without a website that we started showing people at the end of 2008. But really, I think when we really started to market it online, it was more toward 2009. 2009, all right. And so what kept you going as in like in that particular time where you were still figuring out what the exact version was? Um, yeah, you know, like... Honestly, we were probably just young and naive. Like we just, you know, we just kept going. Like it never occurred to us that we should stop or it never occurred to us that we might fail. And I don't know that we cared really. Um, you know, it was, you know, when you start stuff like this, it's always, um, you know, you're always going to like hit roadblocks and so on and so forth. But I think like it's, it's kind of how you look at them. If you look at it as like, oh, I keep hitting these roadblocks. That's one thing. But if you look at it as like, oh, this is a fun game, like there's a roadblock, now let, let's go around it. And whoops, this is wrong direction too, let's go around this other direction. And and basically, it's just a matter of maneuvering. If you if you have like, you know, a great team um, and you're willing to make it work uh, and you're willing to keep doing it until it does work, I think eventually you, you're, you're going to be successful. It, that's one of the things that, you know, has always been a mentality for us is like, we know we're going to be successful. The only thing we don't know is how long it's going to take. Um, and I think when you approach it from that mentality, as long as you're not stubborn, right? Like there's also mm -hmm. something to be said about like, hey, you keep doing the same exact thing um, and you expect that like eventually it's going to work. You, you just have to be like very, um, you know, tuned to what's going on and being receptive to the signals uh, that you're hearing from the environment. And if you take that stuff into account um, and, and you keep at it and you keep improving, like, like eventually you're going to find something that works. And when you do, that's when you really, really double down. Absolutely. Very well put, Aiden. And like just for us to understand the scale of uh, you know, Fluidware when you actually planned the exit, like could you help us with some numbers around what was, what was the team size, what were the paying customers, what was the revenue you were making? 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, the team size was, was just under a hundred people. Sure. Um, we had, uh, so it's interesting. So we had probably 75 or so in mm -hmm. one location. Um, and the rest were all, um, like 15 or 20 people were all like dispersed, uh, in various countries, mm. uh, in India and in the Philippines and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, even back then, like, uh, we had this concept of remote teams. We had like, oh. Uh, we had uh, some people in the U.S. as well, and uh, yeah, so, so that, that's kind of how big the team is, just under 100 people. Uh, the revenue, so we were basically growing really fast. We were growing more than 100% uh, every year. Uh, we were profitable. We never wow. raised venture capital, so we had to be. Um, and yeah, we were going to, that year, we were on a run rate to do over $10 million in sales. Very nice. That's that's absolutely amazing. Uh, and but then you decided to exit. You know, you were doing so well. What what was the motivation behind that? What was going on? Um, you know, like uh, so we uh, we could have kept going. Like it was mm -hmm. it was one of those things. But really, I think um, so. We we you know we were this bootstrap company, and we were on this trajectory, and we were doing really well, and. Uh, you know, we we threw one thing or another, met the folks at, at SurveyMonkey, and, you know, Fluid Surveys was really, like, focused on um, this enterprise market, right? So, exactly. yeah, we had a self-serve offering, but really, like, 80% of our revenue came from when, you know, large corporations bought a ton of accounts for a lot of people. So, for example, like, we had Procter & Gamble, and they had something like 5,000 uh, accounts. Everything from Gillette to CoverGirl, market research would, would, would happen um, on, on fluid surveys. So that's where the bulk of the revenue came. So we really focused on that area. And SurveyMonkey at the time uh, when we started to have the conversation was really like an every person tool. So you know people would use it to do everything from like a birthday survey to wedding invite reservations, to, you know, some serious surveys. Right. Um, and so their view was like, let's really get into the, the enterprise survey market. And uh, they were going to do it. And, uh, you know, we decided that like, hey, like, why not, you know, team up? They are the world's largest survey company. Um, we're kind of super complimentary. It's going to help both of us like uh, grow a lot faster and like beat out the rest of the competition. And you know, to some extent, like we, we viewed you know fluid surveys like we had you know 10x growth from there. But we figured that like uh, you know teaming up with SurveyMonkey, we still had 10x growth opportunity together. Um, but like we had a much more solid chance of like um, succeeding if we actually worked together. Um, and that became a super successful acquisition for SurveyMonkey. It was a great outcome for all the team members involved. Um, and the Ottawa office, uh, you know, that I mentioned was, you know, 75 or so people at the right. time. I think today it's well over 200 people. Like it's really, really grown. Um, lots of investments from SurveyMonkey. And, and now SurveyMonkey, if you're on any of mm -hmm. the, if you're paying attention to it, like they really double down on this enterprise strategy. Uh, and it's going super well. And, and I'd like to thank that uh, the Ottawa team and, you know, what we brought um, in terms of talent and product uh, with Fluid Surveys uh, really helped shape that trajectory. That's amazing. And you, like once the uh, sort of uh, merger happened and you also worked with SurveyMonkey for about two years, right? 
Um, I did, uh, yeah, so I, I was there, yeah, so I was there as a general manager for, for about two years. Wonderful. But like then why the sort of, I mean, what motivated you to start fellow again as in, like, why move on to a second venture when, you know, you have something already successful going on, as you rightly said, it's like, uh, almost double the power, right? It's survey monkey plus fluid surveys working together. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that, that's a great question. And, and really, like for everybody, it's going to be very different. What I can say about SurveyMonkey is that it is a fantastic uh, company. I'm so glad that we, we did that acquisition. Like it was probably one of the best things that, uh, you know, happened to the team and, and the product. Um, and, you know, particularly because it allowed us to see kind of like a different light. Right. So when we joined, um, I think SurveyMonkey was a only I don't remember maybe like 250 or maybe 300 people uh, and so we were a significant portion we were maybe like you know like 25% of the staff when we oh. joined um, and and you know with them we grew to uh, probably like close to a thousand people I think like now they're like well over 1200 or, or so uh, and then we went on this trajectory to IPO and obviously if you've been following it SurveyMonkey IPO'd um, recently. And so it was an incredible trajectory that the things that we kind of learned was, you know, I always like to say, you know, in building fluid where one of the things that my team and I learned was mm -hmm. we learned how to be really great entrepreneurs. Uh, and when we joined SurveyMonkey, we really learned how to be uh, great managers. Um, and part of that was, you know, all of a sudden it's a larger company. So, you know, we had a legal team and, and we had like a finance team and we had to budget for things. Whereas like in building Fluidware, it was very much like very ad hoc and, you know, uh, we do things, a lot of things in a less formal structure, but like now being in the context of this bigger company, it just opened our eyes and, and we learned so much. Um, so yeah, I, uh, love the experience and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I could have stayed there. Like it would have been, uh, it would have been just fun. But I think like, uh, for me, one of the things that like, one of the things that I, I think my, like my co-founders and I really wanted to do, uh, was see everything that came after, uh, building a company to, um, that, you know, hundred person mark. We were, right. you know, we thought like, oh, this is really cool. Um, and, you know, we, we joined SurveyMonkey in this journey, but it would have been really cool to actually see everything that comes after that and like building that from that point and on. And so we were just itching to uh, do it again. And, and this time, you know, set the bar higher um, and, and, you know, this time around, go, go and see rather than selling the company to see if we can buy a few companies ourselves. So <laughs> I just feel that we, we just, you know, wanted to, to see what it would be like to go from like, uh, you know, beginning uh, to building a really large, meaningful company that that can basically um, be a generational company, and, and see if we could give give that a shot. But also, um, you know, once you've done this entrepreneur thing, it's really hard uh, to go back, right? And yeah. so, like in some cases, um, you know, people do stay, but it, it's a very different sort of uh, environment. Like once you're in a corporate structure. And, and you just start craving it again. And it, it's, it's hard to explain, but once you've experienced it, uh, you kind of, it, it's difficult to, to not want to do it again. Absolutely. Uh, wonderful. And like, so let's talk a little also about uh, what fellow 
what stage fellow currently is in like uh, i i know recently you went full full on live with the launch on product hunt as well and uh, you know probably reaching out to a larger set of customers like how many uh, customers do you have what's the team like now what 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 stage is fellow in exactly um yeah that's a good question so uh so yeah we are uh basically uh just over 20 in staff uh we're still very early stage although we've raised uh we recently raised six and a half million dollars in venture capital uh from inovia from felicis two of like we think the best venture firms out there and uh yeah, we, we basically, so the way that we, we did Fellow was we basically mm-hmm. spent about two years building up the product uh, and testing it with a bunch of beta customers. So we were, like, if you had visited the website, um, say, last year, what you you would have seen is uh, there was a get early access button and you would sign up and there was this really big waiting list. Um, and every week we would let in, um, you know, a handful of companies into the product to start testing it, giving us feedback, and we really kind of like built it in this very iterative manner uh, over the course of time. Uh, and then um, after doing all of that, we basically got to a point where uh, we were really confident in the product. So we'd seen it, you know, basically start from a few teams, and and people kept telling each uh, other teams about it, and it would really, really grow until like whole companies would say, "This is incredible! Like, let's get this for our whole company." Uh, so we did that for a while, and then once we had the confidence that like we really we we really nailed it, and we really found something um, that you know people really want, delivers a ton of value to teams. Uh, we basically just decided to launch it, um, and so now if you go to uh, just you know fellow dot app, okay. uh, what you'll notice is that there's uh, you can just anybody can just sign up. Uh, it's free to try. We have a really great free plan. Um, and it's just like at an accelerating pace, we're just getting more and more users. So, uh, we currently have users in all, like all the big names that you would have, you would think about, obviously companies like Shopify, uh, Netflix, HubSpot, Twilio and the like, like all, you know, and and obviously like lots of teams over 50 countries. Uh, so there's users everywhere. Um, and, and the good news is like, even within those companies, it's, it's consistently spreading to more and more teams. Um, and I think Fellow is just a sort of product that, like, once you start using it, uh, you want to use it with more people. And that's part of the reason why it keeps driving more and more growth. Um, we're, we're obviously expanding the team. Uh, we're, we're building out new things. We just released our mobile apps, for example, last week. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very exciting time. It's, it's kind of hard to keep up with the pace of growth, uh, but we're, we're doing the best that we can. That's absolutely amazing. And... Uh, to understand, like, is there a target customer group that you have in mind for Fellow? Um, really, like for us, it, it, it's any managers um, and their team. So basically, mm-hmm. the pitch is: if you're a manager and you have a team, you should use Fellow. Like that's you know at the most basic level, um, you know the pitch. Uh, it is managers co-pilot. Um, but on top of that, like some of the and you know it, it's very. Um, I guess uh, appropriate, and given the the name of uh, this podcast, uh, obviously this is a very focused managers, uh, like a lot of remote teams and distributed teams uh, use Fellow, and mm-hmm. and we think you know a lot of the reason for that is you know when you have tools like 
um, when everybody's not in the same location. So it's not necessarily like your company doesn't need to be remote. Like a lot of companies just have multiple offices or some people work from home. And so when you have that kind of like environment, what ends up happening is the chat may not be the best way to communicate all the time. So if you're in a different time zone, like you're not gonna be able to just like message someone and start to have that sort of conversation. Um, But what you might do is say, hey, like we have a meeting schedule tomorrow at 2 p.m. anyway. I'm just gonna like this thing that I wanna talk about, I'm just gonna put it in fellow. Um, And you know, the next time we meet, we're just gonna chat about it. And so what ends up happening is like each and every person on the team starts following that workflow. So Mm -hmm. different people on the team are always building these collaborative agendas, not only for their one-on-ones, but also for their team meetings. So let's say that I just had this great marketing idea. So what I would do is I'd say, oh, well, our marketing meetings is, you know, on Thursday. Cool. I'm just going to go throw this in there. Um, And then like when we actually go to sit for our marketing meeting, there's all these different things that each and every person has kind of added to this collaborative agenda. And it just becomes a better way of working. It's less noisy. It's less distracting. And, you know, basically remote teams, distributed teams, they just get this from the get go. Um, And so, yeah, a lot of our, you know, a lot of the companies, um, you know, that use Fellow, um, are very passionate about it because it just like really helps this distributed um, like employee model just work better. Um, and that's something that we're super excited about. It obviously works everywhere. Like right. you can even imagine um, if you've been part of a growing company and you know certainly this is one mm-hmm. of the things that we experience, even at like a growing company, when everybody's like kind of sitting together, it's one thing. And then once you start to hire a bunch of people, and then some of those people now like literally sit at the end of the hall mm-hmm. uh, and they're like not within yelling distance, that starts to change the dynamic. And then when you start to grow and now you've grown to two floors in a building, that, that changes the dynamic. All of a sudden you, you notice that like, oh, they're just like on the top floor. I could just take the stairs to see them. But for whatever reason, the communication is is not the same because, oh, the second floor has a kitchen and you have a kitchen on your floor, so you're not likely to bump into each other as often. Mm. And all these things start to change the dynamic. And when things like that start to happen, you need to start to change your tool set. And I think Fellow is like just one of those things that really starts to make the, those sort of um, workflows actually work uh, in context. Absolutely. And do you already have any, uh, let's say, 100% distributed teams or uh, you know, part remote teams as your customers who are using Fellow at the moment? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh-huh. 100%. Like, there's so many. Um, there's our, uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Time Doctor. Time Doctor yes, is this yes, incredible, uh-huh. yeah, tool. They're like, you know, basically um, thought leaders in the remote workspace. They have this conference called Running Remote. Okay. Um, so Time Doctor uses uh, Fellow, and they're like crazy high-frequency users of it. Uh, we have companies like TaxJar uh, that are, I believe, all remote. Uh, companies like Dockyard. Like, there's so many. Uh, it's just like such a comedy. And, and these are like all remote, you know, larger companies. Right. Uh, but of course, like there is, you know, you look at a company like Shopify. I mean, mm-hmm. they have offices all over the globe. They have many. They have a huge thousands of people that that may work uh, remotely. Um, and so in all of those cases, obviously, like Fellow also really works very well. 
And like, it's just it's viewed as, as like one of these products that like, if you're thinking about distributed remote teams, mm -hmm. you have to think about Fellow. Absolutely. And uh, now on a different note, like you said that you raised a seed round very early, right? When you were starting to build out product, the product itself. Uh, but like if I contrast it with Fluid where you bootstrap the entire company and of course gain amazing success. So uh, what was the rationale behind doing things differently? Was it a conscious decision and what are your thoughts generally on uh, bootstrapping versus raising funds? Yeah, um, I think both are great mm -hmm. and both have a have, definitely have a place and it really right. just depends on like what you want to do as a business. I think, you know, part of the, the bootstrapping, there's pros and cons to both, right? Mm -hmm. So some of the pros uh, about bootstrapping is like, um, you don't have to go for this, like, uh, you don't have to try and build a billion dollar company. Um, and, you know, I, I'm generalizing a bit and, you know, there's like VCs and investors that like, you know, may not want you to do that, maybe like smaller funds. But if you're raising money from a VC that has, say, a $500 million fund, I mean, really, like, for you to make a dent in their fund, uh, you basically have to build a very large, multiple hundred million, if not over a billion dollar company. And, and so really, when you're taking the venture route, like, you're focused on that. Um, and it's not about, like, you know, say, a $100 million acquisition may not be that, like, exciting or even considered that successful Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. to the VCs who invest in you. But if you're a bootstrap company and you sell your company for say like, you know, 200 million bucks, like to a VC that might not be like, Oh my God, this is this, hit, they hit it out of the park. But to a bootstrap company, I mean, that's incredible. That's, uh, you know, basically this is a company owned by, uh, say the founders. And, and so that, that's like, you know, obviously a lot more, uh, meaningful in that sense. But the other part of it is it's not necessarily when you're bootstrapping, it's not necessarily all growth all the time. Um, it's uh, you can maybe grow that company at your own pace mm -hmm. and you can maybe keep it at whatever size that you want. And really, like, you, you know, you can just build it in the way that you want. On the flip side, if you're going after a super competitive space, like the reality is, is your competitors are going to be raising venture capital. So you have to understand that, like, um, you, you may go at your own pace, but if these other, you know, companies are arming up and they're coming to the ball, ball game, like with, with these like heavy duty bats and everything like that, um, you know, it's going to be harder to compete. Um, so it really depends on like the type of business that you're building. Um, and you know, what your view is on like how large you want to build it. These are all generalizations. I mean, let's look at it. Shopify raised um, a lot, you know, capital, uh, and you know, there's this this big thirty billion dollar plus company. Um, and you look at another company like, say, a Mailchimp, right? They've mm -hmm. never raised capital. Um, they have many hundreds of millions uh, in in sales. They're worth many billions of dollars. So there's really like any angle you look at it, you're going to find successes. It just depends on like the pace that you want to move at um, and, and what kind of a company uh, that you want to build. Uh, for us, like we did the bootstrap thing. It was great. We had a lot of fun. It was a great outcome. Um, this time around, like we have our eyes set on uh, a bigger target and, and we feel that for the type of business that we want to build, venture capital is, is the appropriate approach. Super. That's very well put, Aiden. 
And uh, now if I have to ask you, let's say you had to start over, what would you do differently? Um, start over with, with which company, with what? No, let's say for example, start over uh, with Fluidware itself, uh, because that's the first thing that you uh, began working on. Looking back, was yeah. is there anything different that you would, uh, you know, do? Probably tell your uh, younger self, like this is probably uh, something that you should do instead of what you actually did. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, like, I don't, uh, you know, everybody asks this question about, like, what would you tell your younger self? This okay. is such a sort of common question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like, a more appropriate question is actually, what do you think your older self would tell you uh, at this moment? Um, and the reason that, you know, I like to flip that question mm-hmm. is because, yeah, I mean, I could tell you, look, um, you know, at Fluidware, we had two uh, two businesses, right? We had Fluid Surveys, which is the, the thing that we were most commonly known for. Um, and then we had this other product called Fluid Review. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, Fluid Review has been branded to this other product, uh, rebranded, called SurveyMonkey Apply. Um, when SurveyMonkey bought Fluidware, they basically bought products, but they really bought the company for Fluid Surveys. Obviously, a survey company buying a survey company, that was kind of the intent. And this this other product um, that they called SurveyMonkey Apply, mm-hmm. it was really kind of like this bonus thing, right, that, that came along with it. So many people in the beginning days like told us, like, why are you guys, like, why do you have two products and so on and so forth? Like, you shouldn't have two. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, that's absolutely correct. Like, you shouldn't have two products that are serving two different markets. It's distracting. It's hard enough. I, as it is to build a startup, like you really don't want to divert your focus. But at the same time, look, I mean, we had a we had a successful outcome, and that product, SurveyMonkey, apply. Unfortunately, I can't talk about you know the specifics of it, but let's just say it's wildly successful. Uh, it's just become like this insanely large business, um, and you know, there's an example, like you know, to, we, we built two products, and it you know ended up working really, really well. Um, and, but at the same time, like generally speaking, the textbook definition is, uh, you know, don't build two products at the same time. Um, unless like my, my only view around that is like, unless the products kind of serve the same market, then, um, then that kind of makes sense because you're doing more things Mm -hmm. to become, um, this endeared company, uh, within a particular market. Um, so that's what I would say, like, you know, uh, obviously don't, um, I do think like the most important thing in building a company from the ground up is focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like if I you know flip that question and I say what would my older self tell me today, I would still say focus, uh, focus, 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 uh, focus on as little things as possible, and just make sure to hit it out of the park for those things. Wonderful, super. And uh, like at this point, what is that uh, one thing or worry that keeps you up at night even today? Um, hmm. Good question. Um, I, you know, I don't know that like, um, very much, like, I don't like to think about that question of like things that worry me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to kind of like flip it around and say like, what are the things that excite me? Uh, and, and so I think like worry and excitement are like one and the same. It just, it's, it's like literally how you interpret it. Um, and so my thought around this is like, you know, there's a lot of things that are super exciting 
Um, and if there's any worry, it's like, what if like we don't, you know, reach our full potential and like do all of these things. And so there's a lot of excitement about just like taking this to, uh, basically taking this to the place that it deserves to be. You know, our view around this is like fellow needs to be, uh, in the hands of every manager and every organization in the world. We have this, this really great product and, you know, like, how do we make sure that we don't miss the ball like we, we don't miss the target and and we don't grow as fast as as we want as as we'd like to to really get this into the hands of as many people as we want so part of that is like we're always thinking how can we move faster um how can we continue to add value to these teams how can we continue to make the lives of all the people that we serve better uh, so that's the stuff that's really exciting, and 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 it's always about these are the things that we think about all the time. Is like how do we continue to deliver as much value as possible, and how do we like do that with a sense of urgency? Uh, one of the um, values that we have here at Fellow uh, is this value that we like to call pace quickly. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, like you'll notice, it's not called move quickly. It's called pace quickly because, you know, our view on this is let's not just do irrational things and just like do things quickly. Uh, For us, it's about let's really take our time to make sure that we're doing the right things. Um, And then once we've figured it out, let's move quickly on on those things. Let's do less things, but the things that we do, let's execute uh, rapidly on those things. And, And so that's the stuff that really gets us excited uh, really drives us a team, and I think the things that uh, will really lead us to to success in, in, in this avenue. Absolutely, and I'm pretty sure that you will succeed to great heights, like in the time to come. Uh, it's an inspiring story, uh, Aiden. Like it uh, sort of gives us a lot of lessons, uh, budding entrepreneurs like myself and people listening to this podcast as well. Uh, it's been a great time. We got to know a lot about your journey, about Fellow, about Fluidware as well. Uh, any parting words for makers, for people listening to the podcast? Yeah, 100%. So I did want to leave um, the your, your, your listeners with a with few recommendations on, uh, on really incredible books. Like, obviously, Wonderful. we're very passionate about uh, managers and their teams and helping man- managers um, really like have the most effective communications and workflows with their teams. Sure. So there are a few things that I would recommend. Um, the first one is this book called The Making of a Manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is this book uh, by Julie who, uh, Zhu, who's a, basically VP of design at Facebook. Uh, incredible book. I would recommend it to new managers and old managers. If you manage a team, I would highly recommend this book. If you don't have the time to read the book, we've written this incredible summary. Um, we Our top 10 lessons from the making of a manager, you can mm-hmm. find that on the fellow blog. Um, the other thing that we've done is we've we've written this um, this this phenomenal ebook. It's over 90 pages. It's research that we've done over the course of two years, like the best sources. Um, and it's called The Art of the One-on-One Meeting. It's We feel that the most misunderstood yet powerful concept in all of management. Uh, so we've basically just finally done it and, and written this book. And this is kind of like the all-in-one source for you to be able to learn what you need to know about this particular meeting type. Uh, so that's another thing that, that I would recommend. Um, and finally, for, for startup listeners and people building their, their own companies, 
if you haven't already, I strongly, strongly recommend the book, um, The Lean Startup. It is an older book now, but it is, in my opinion, it is timeless. Uh, and even if you've read it, but you haven't read it in a long time, I'd recommend you'd still check it out. Wonderful. And for our listeners, you can actually access all of the uh, resources that uh, Aiden mentioned on fellow.app slash blog. You'll be able to uh, find the ebook that he was mentioning as well as uh, the summary of, uh, you know, the other book that uh, Aiden mentioned. So thanks a lot, Aiden. It's been a wonderful time. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for uh, coming on the podcast. Yeah, this was really fun. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. 